Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 19th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Kringle. <laughs> Just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information this week, Chip. Yes, yes, yes. A joyous holiday season to all. Everybody's got something to celebrate this week. Winter begins on Thursday. We want to wish a joyous winter solstice to all who celebrate. We've got more light. More light, Steve. Light. It's going to be dark. Dark on Thursday. Uh, forecasted more light after that. <laughs> Festivus is on Saturday. Festivus for the rest of us. I'm going to get some bagels and uh, air some grievances. Then, exactly. <laughs> then Christmas comes on Monday. It's just joy. Joy up and down everywhere. As an elf on the shelf, I look forward to going back to my hometown. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Boy, oh boy, all of the good movies are coming out. It is December. It is time to get those movies in for Oscar consideration, huh, Chip? Listen, um, we went through like a whole month where nothing was released, mm -hmm. and we know what's going to happen in the early part of next year. Why did they just release all of these, like all at once? Uh, for Oscar consideration, Chip. That is why they released them all right now. It is movie watching season. There's plenty of people that go to the movies in December. Families are gathering. Let's put. Let's give them a good family movie to go see. That's right. And so our first movie is going to be Wonka. Our, our movie is. Imagine it. You know, we're sitting in an old playhouse, Steve. It's the 1800s, the 1900s. We are going to go, we're going to see a little song, a little dance. It's going to be a little fun. The story is okay. And we're going to leave happy because, you know, we're going to, we're going to sing a few songs that we all know and a few new ones. And it's just, it's there for entertainment. And that's exactly how I'm going to describe Wonka. I'll say 68 out of 100 because they did it really well. Okay. But at the same time, it's just what it is. It's just a um, a, a movie with, um, you know, not much substance, but it's for all ages. Yeah, it, it, the reviews that I've read, they've taken out some of the substance that Roald Dahl gave us in the original story from the 60s and that 70s movie that we all enjoy with Gene Wilder. So this is not Charlie and the Cho Chocolate Factory, the book. This is not Willy Wonka, the musical that uh, the kids perform and Gene Wilder was uh, part of. Yeah, there's some nods to Gene Wilder. He does a little skip step. Um, he says something and then reverses it and you know says it the other way. So there's lots of, of nice things. It's a beautiful set. Um, it's inoffensive in the most loving sense of the word. It's meant for all ages. It's meant to go to the show, Steve. There you go. That is the review that I've heard from a lot of places. So I look forward to seeing that one. You also got a chance to see American fiction. This is a very different type of story. This is. And in fact, it is the highest rated film that I have seen this year. I'll say 79 out of 100. Wow. This is based off a book called Erasure that um, is a much darker uh, story than, than this story. So this is about a professor who's written a book. Um, he's just not hitting his audience very well. He keeps getting pigeonholed into being, uh, he's an African-American writer, an African-American professor. He must write a certain way. 
Um, he ends up writing, having a few drinks, writing a little parody of some of the move, uh, some of the books being written at the time, along with dealing with all the challenges of life that are around him. His his mother has dementia. Um, his sister um, unexpectedly has something happen to her, um, and also the, the brother, his other brother, is going through some you know life changes, hmm. and. Um, I think what we end up learning is that all artists have a place in this world. All people have a place in this world. And it's very difficult to judge people for pandering to stereotypes because it's so hard to make it. And he ends up having his most successful part is when he's making fun of the genre that he is he is supposed to write. But at the same time, the person who um, is his nemesis basically calls out for what it is. Hmm. He realizes that um, that person's reading. She goes, yeah, it just doesn't seem authentic. And he goes, of course, it doesn't seem like authentic, but he can't tell her that he wrote it. Hmm. So there's um, there's so much to this. This is an onion. They continue to peel away. You will think about this movie significantly. And I think that one of the books that we end up reading this next year is going to be Erasure, because I do think that there's just something really profound and it's not race based. It's it's there's a true um trueness to it that we all can relate to. Fascinating. I, I look forward to seeing this movie and to reading this book. You wrote in the notes that it reminds you of Hollywood Shuffle, which is a, a similar story of African-American actors in Hollywood. Exactly. And there's no doubt that um, the, the movie gives a little wink to this this movie okay. uh, and some of what Robert Townsend was was going through at the time, or at least was you know pointed out. Right. But this is a different story. Um, and I think that, um, don't worry, there's something in there for you, a little Easter egg that you can wink at. Okay. I look forward to that. You also saw Eileen. This is the story of a woman's friendship with a new coworker at a prison facility. Boy, oh boy. That is very diverse films you saw this week, Chip. And this film is really good. Hmm. Uh, it is like a short story, a little novel. It's based off of a book, um, the, of the same name. And uh, it has an ambiguous ending that mm. just will have you thinking a little bit. So um, it takes place in Massachusetts, Steve. Is that Boston. Was that your a lot of Boston accents there. <laughs> it's right outside Boston, Steve. <laughs> All right. What's your chip score on Eileen? 70 out of 100. We've got a uh, a young lady who uh, she left uh, college to kind of take care of her mom. She passed away. We don't get to meet mom. But she has an alcoholic father. He was a former chief of police in the uh, the town. He is slowly kind of, I don't know, going mad a little bit. Hmm. You know, he's going outside of the house with his gun and pointing it at people. And it's just, you know, all the challenges of dealing with this. And she's planning her escape. She's working at the local boys' prison. Um, she is saving her money. She is using her mother's clothing and stuff like that to kind of to live a very frugal existence, knowing she needs to escape. Hmm. And then we get this psychologist who is going to come in and, and help these 
these young boys who are in prison, who is very exciting, brings uh, brings the world from Harvard, Steve, to her, who is you know a person who struggled in school, but you know is, is bright and has some uh, some thoughts of her own. This is about coming of age. There's some sexuality parts to it. This is about being thrown in a very odd situation. There is a story under there that you're going to think about quite a bit. This mm. is not for everyone. Okay. A lot of people are going to leave this and they're not going to be satisfied with this movie. But I tell you, the darkness that turns into it is is interesting. And all I'm going to, to um, add to this is that um, a lot of the boys who are in this prison are from circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tell you, there's a lot of cover-ups of things that, that have happened to some of these people. And um, yeah, it's it's just, we, we're aware of it, but, the, but those things that hurt people don't go away. So mm-hmm. I'll say 70 out of 100. If you're interested in uh, kind of a thriller type of thing, this may be a good one to go figure out. All right. I watched a, a dark story as well, but not really, because I watched a Batman movie, you know, The Dark Knight. I watched Merry Little Batman. This is a brand new animated story on Amazon Prime Video in the style of the Cartoon Network animation. This is a fun Christmas-based story about Batman and his son Damien confronting all of the bad guys in Gotham City. So who is this aimed at? What what age group would you say is the proper age group? I would say this is a children's uh, Batman story. This is definitely uh, take home alone and add Batman's son as the main character. Think of what would happen if little Kevin was full of gadgets and what he could do to save not only his home, but outside of his home, saving all of Gotham city from these bad guys. This is a fun little adventure. Very silly. Uh, Luke Wilson plays Batman, a bearded Batman who has retired from being a superhero and everybody comments on how his beard makes him look even more menacing, including Joker and all of the, the cavalcade of villains in Gotham city. The voice of young Damien is Giannis Karib. He does a fantastic job. He has a long list of movies that he has voiced in his young life. He does a fantastic job convincing us that this young person really wants to become the superhero that young people sometimes fantasize about and being Batman and getting the opportunity to have these adventures. I, I recommend this one for, for anyone who has kids uh, and any any kids who have that thinking about adventure and Batman superheroes. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book and our book of the week. It is, you know, <laughs> the holiday season's fun, Chip. It's so interesting to get together with all the people that you love and celebrate the season. Let's do <laughs> the monthly book club on the wrong date so that we can get it out of the way. 
We could do that, Steve. We should bring in Pambador and make this out of this world. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, my goodness. Hi, guys. It's great Hello. to be here. How's it going? Pambador, the literature teacher we all wanted to have. She's going to make us learn it, Steve. All right. So this week's book is a very different story than we've usually read. Chip, this is your suggestion. This is A City on Mars. Can we settle space? Should we settle space? And have we really thought this through? This was published just recently, 2023. This is Kelly and Zach Wienersmith. And Matt Damon is not part of this visit to Mars. Matt Damon. Of course he is. <laughs> I saw him. I saw him in the illustrations. He's right on page 72. <laughs> so tell us first about Zach and Kelly Wienersmith, because this is an important part of this conversation. So Kelly Wienersmith is a biologist, and Zach Wienersmith is the comic artist for um, Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial. So if it is an online comic strip, it's so good. I cannot believe it's not picked up for like Sunday papers. Um, anyway, it's one of my favorites. There's usually some kind of philosophy, economics, um, commentary on science that's part of it. So he's a very smart guy. And he obviously went out and found a really, really smart, fun person to marry. And they have a hobby. And that's, I don't know, collecting papers on traveling to Mars or traveling to space. So that's where this starts is these two are space fanatics, kind of like I am. They watch all the launches of all the rockets. They really see a future where we humans can leave this gravity well and leave this planet and go and settle space and other planets and have that, that utopia, that Star Trek thinking of space. That's where this starts. They say to each other, we're going to write this great book about about all the possibilities of space and a city on Mars is not that book. <laughs> you mean John Carter wasn't correct, Steve? Uh, Pam, what, what, what are your, what's your elevator pitch on this one? Well, I loved this book and I think about, <laughs> I know, <laughs> positive Pam. Um, I, so I think about space all the time. I don't think I'm as much of a space nerd as you, Steve, or certainly as as Kelly and Zach Wienersmith, but uh, but I I read tons and tons and tons of science fiction set in space, and it's like my favorite science fiction. You're the time travel person. I'm the space and aliens person, right? And so I really, really, really enjoyed the fact checks because, but I was also very torn about this book. <laughs> So, so basically, and I know, Steve, you think about space a lot, Chip, I wasn't sure how much in your like everyday life, Chip, do you think about space and space exploration and meeting aliens? Well, I, I like, this is the type of book that I like, that kind of takes a scientific question and says, okay, no. let's play this out. How would this really work? This is totally uh, up my alley. And, and it's not a, a, a focus. I mean, I, I don't sit around focusing on space in particular, but I, the what ifs, like, all right, let's let's think this through. How, do, how would we do this? And yes, you and I like nonfiction more than Steve does. Correct. I think we can safely Absolutely. say. <laughs> no doubt about that. I do not like reality. I only like <laughs> fiction. Go on. The forces 
force is strong with Steve, <laughs> but you know, reality may not be. No. Although, so I keep track of every book I read. So I usually read 100 novels a year. I'm on 98 right now, so I can still do it. Um, and then I read 30 nonfiction books a year. So that's kind of my mix. And I think Steve, your, your mix is way more fiction and Chip whatever chip mix. brings for nonfiction is way more nonfiction. And so, so I, I really, really enjoyed this book because I, unfortunately, I think the Wienersmiths are right, but I don't completely agree with their conclusion, but I, I, I thought they were quite credible. Um, and I loved how funny this book was. And so it was, I enjoy almost all nonfiction anyway, but when it's really funny like this, and and it's about such a fascinating topic. Well, you know, Christmas is here, and they would be like the greatest guest to, to bring to a, a Christmas party. 100%. Because you could sit there, and first of all, I'm assuming they'd be very playful. But the other part is, is that they just, they have this wide, you know, brush of information they can pull from mm -hmm. and we'd all be fascinated it, you know going through these explorations to you i agree I, I don't necessarily have to agree with all their conclusions because this while they have a tremendous amount of knowledge they don't have all the knowledge and this is not their expertise so maybe they're missing something you know it doesn't look like it through this book but you know you have to put that out there this they have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of knowledge about a lot of stuff too. That doesn't mean I'm an expert in all the the things that would be would, are considered. Excuse me. Now I really like that they set out to answer a question without getting PhDs in astrophysics. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's kind of awesome that they just looked at the literature. They thought about the question from the perspective of the science. I would have liked a little more on the science personally, but it was interesting. The legal standpoint, political standpoint, moral and ethical, you know, so they they sort of took a question and looked through it from a number of different lenses. And I kind of think I like that. I wish more people would do that right outside their area of expertise. Smart, interesting people outside. So we have this is the revolution that's going on with the Internet, because we have a lot of research that's being done that's not through an academic standpoint. <laughs> it's I have information on geology, uh, yeah, geology, and I think that I'm going to explain something that happened, or I have a fascination of you know the moon or something in space or or some kind of biology or whatever. The beautiful thing about the internet is it's allowed these people who have these interests to be able to connect to each other where they may have never met on any level right. before the the internet was available because they're all over the world. And the depth and breadth of their research here is stunning. They did so much in-depth research through that idea of we have access to these questions coming up with the right questions, finding real information to back up their answer is, is fascinating to me. Well, and if we go back to the heart of a scientist, which Kelly is, right? So what do you learn to do as a scientist? You learn to ask great questions, mm -hmm. and then you have to find the material to support it. You know, what makes a great comic strip? Well, it's usually having incredible insights and being able to bring out the the entertainment value of it. Mm -hmm. They make a great, you know, and I don't mean to label them on such a narrow area, but... 
that ability makes us a you know a powerful couple to be able to explore no a subject like this. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The the writing style that Kelly brings, and and a little bit from Zach, we get a little bit of his voice in the writing, but their writing style together is is a page turner, even in a nonfiction downer of a book like this. Yeah. <laughs> the wet blanket wiener. So you're saying. There's a chance. Oh my goodness. <laughs> as as a nerd, as a sci-fi geek, I think of these these amazing futures and they came at it from the same perspective that I was coming at it and they knocked down every single one of the possibilities as nope you can't do that you'll die page 10, <laughs> you'll die page 10 you'll die I was so I, I kept reading because I love their style and I kept going I'm going to think about this for the rest of my life this is information <laughs> that is going to keep me from watching Star Trek Thinking, thinking, Steve. Thinking, thinking. So that was one of the questions that I had for you guys is, um, I did the audiobook, which was excellent. Um, which parts of this really stayed with you? And have you talked to your friends about it? Because I have. <laughs> so I certainly went across the hall and brought it. I got the hardback edition from the library and I listened to the audiobook as well because I wanted to see Zach Wienersmith's illustrations. I thought oh, that nice. that was an important part of this process because that's the thing that he brings to this. This incredible philosophy and sociology and all the study that's being done, he adds a little cute little illustration. It's not funny, it's not comic, it's just illustrative. And I, I enjoy looking at that. Of course, I went across the hall and shared it with my coworkers and compared notes on how frustrated I was uh, with the, the wet blanket that was being placed upon me. Well, I haven't been sharing them yet, although the holidays are here and you're going to be sitting across the table sharing a meal or whatever it is. Age you're going to be six. We'll die. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is the type of fun you know you say i was just reading a book about going to mars and um yeah let me tell you a little bit about what what the science is they're like ah! you know elon musk and uh, jeff bezos say we're going to be there well <laughs> because the power Maybe. requirement banks and taco sauce might be a problem <laughs> That was my favorite part. That was my favorite part to answer. The taco sauce part? The taco sauce. Taco sauce as the de facto currency in space because they didn't have enough flavor. So taco sauce was traded like money. I loved that analogy. How, how about the, the astronaut that was going into space and decided he didn't like going to the restroom in space? He was going to hold it for two weeks. <laughs> you know, i just liked the basic premise honestly that you know if we have humongous climate disasters the biggest we can think about and we end up having a nuclear war which we don't like to think about but is in our minds and we have werewolves and we have zombies earth is still so great compared to mars i just loved that so much and, and i've shared that with many people and also the idea that like if you live on earth and you think you know what i'm gonna move to mars that's kind of like if you live in a messy apartment and you think forget it i'm not cleaning the apartment we're just gonna move to the toxic waste dump you know like these analogies were were so like dead on because when you think about 
two-fifths gravity, no protection from solar flares and the radiation, the, like, deadly radiation. And, oh, by the way, no oxygen. And no chance for anything to get to you in any time period that would save you at all. Right. Well, and, And if something would happen, imagine you're in some area, they just well, we have to sacrifice them, and they turn off the air to your area. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are, there was a, the economics of the guy, you know, the power they would have over you. That is, company mm-hmm. store theory, that idea that a business would go to Mars to mine, and everybody there would be under that protection of that company, but also under the control of that company, changing the mix of how much nitrogen is in the air could be a big problem really fast. And they eventually they're like, well, what if you, instead of landing on Mars, you went to some asteroid or something like that. And they were saying that if you were on that asteroid, assuming it could support, you know, whatever your landing stuff is, that you most likely could not see another asteroid. You couldn't see, we just don't in our minds recognize how much space is in space? The vastness of space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I liked it when they were saying, you know, no matter how you feel about immigrants, you never think they might breathe all the air. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. just, like, they, they had all of these little funny notes that were like super true, you know, super accurate. Like the, the things... Like you, Steve, I love the idea of of terraforming Mars, specifically of being in space, of of all of these wonderful scientific things, science fiction things that that are still in the future. If we go back to William Shatner, what William Shatner said when he went to space on on uh, Bezos' rocket, and he said, "When you, you know, this is our Star Trek captain, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, you look back and you realize Earth is the only life out there. Mm-hmm. That the rest of it is just death. That's the wonder. That is the wonderful part about this is wondering what can we do? What should we do? What is the economic impact of doing this? And what's the economic impact of not doing it? Do, to not try to throw your hands in the air and go, this is impossible is not human that's not the way we do things you know how do you guys think that tech billionaires like jeff bezos and elon musk have changed the conversation around space and space exploration i i'll say that they made it possible because it doesn't look like that countries are you know think about where the american space program was in the 60s and what the um the idea is that, you know, if we looked at the year 2000, we'd have rotating uh, space stations and we'd all be up there and all that. That never happened. And it really wasn't until the ultra wealth. This wasn't Bill Gates' wealth. This was Jeff Bezos making Amazon wealth and Elon Musk, you know, building PayPal and, and uh, Tesla and all that, that type of wealth where they just said, yeah, we should be able to do this. And it's amazing how many of our programs and many of the programs, you know, things that need to go into space get funneled through them now because they've made it possible. 
at least the idea is possible. The the things that they've done, the, the International Space Station certainly was sparked by nations, a coming together of nations to build that International Space Station. And the travel to and from that space station is the expensive part at this point. It was in the paper, I think it was Friday, where um, Elon Musk and Bezos were talking about we would live in space and the Earth would be the place to vacation, that type of thing. The beauty is that they've at least expanded our imagination of making this possible. Whether it's credible, I don't. I don't know. Our but, imagination you know. is is certainly here. But then the Wienersmiths walk in and say, "Page twelve, you'll die." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you would you would die under the ocean too, under those terms too, because you're in a confined space. There's no place to escape. But escape would and be I, a lot easier under the ocean than it would be on Mars. The The amount of time that it would take to get back to Earth, back to civilization, is a big sure. factor in what the Wienersmiths are writing here. Sure. Well, and I feel like they provide a sort of reality check on these billionaire narratives of we're going to colonize other planets. And I guess I, I was curious for you guys, like, it's unusual to get a nonfiction reality check with this much humor in it. Do you think that that helped or hurt their credibility and why? That's their signature. That is that okay. is their style of writing. And I think it is wonderful. I, I find it to be so much more interesting when they are using their own voice and being honest with the, the reader in how they were thinking and how their thinking changed. I, I loved that aspect. And, and we need this type of commentary on something. Because, you know, many times when you're dealing with the people in the know, they are just, they don't connect real well with the everyday person. They're so thoughtful. Their, their, their minds are on such a different plane. They have a hard time bringing it down to the everyday person. And that's the gift that Kelly and Zach have is their ability to talk to the everyday person. And in fact, this would make a great series where they could work with the scientists and then just kind of say, die. <laughs> But it could be that could be the joke is that okay, oh we God, I'm gonna set up Kenny. this scenario and uh and it all ends at the end. It's you know what was uh um uh Parsons, Jason Parsons book, you know, John dies at the end. That could be the name of the story. <laughs> Everyone dies at the end. Every at the end of the show, everybody dies. But but to be really serious for a minute, I think that these I think one of the things that I've been worrying about before reading this book and that I'm more worried about now is that these narratives of terraforming Mars and like, oh yeah, we'll just we'll just leave the Earth. I mean, these are ways to say we don't have to address the climate crisis, <laughs> and we just mm. have, you know, another giant global discussion. And COP twenty eight had a really wonderful moment where people said, you know what, let's put it, let's write it down. We do have to move away from our reliance on fossil fuels. But there's no specific targets or anything. Countries didn't sign, yeah. let alone ratify any actual targets on that. Mm -hmm. But these narratives of, don't worry, we can just leave. They're not reasonable. We have to clean up our apartment, <laughs> right? Like we have to, we, we have to actually address the climate crisis. And so 
in that way, even though they were so funny about it and they weren't, they, they were not in any way preachy as I just was for two minutes. Um, that message, I think, was really, really clear in this book. Agreed. You have carrots and sticks, right? Mm-hmm. And you can beat people over the head and try to force them into a compliance of something. Or you can lead them through carrots. And it's a lot. And ethically, we want carrots, right? When we use sticks, we want it to be life and death situations for that moment. You know, it's very hard for people to look over the course of a hundred years or a thousand years. We're not, as human, we don't live that long. You're up. By the time you become aware, you're, you're on. You know, you're, you're dying, and then you're gone. And you know, whatever your knowledge has is is gone too. Welcome. So to three middle aged people talk about the future. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're a young person, you, you've got the you know. You've got the you know, all the time in the world, right? Okay. But when you're when you are old, you break your glass. Your time is short. Oh. You know, I mean, maybe you run for president. You never know, Steve. Oh, um, oh boy. <laughs> but <laughs> but on the on the grand scheme of things, um, we're we're here for such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you felt was important during your short period of time, there's there's it's it's just it's we just don't have. We don't have the scale of thought to move a thousand years in the future. Mm-hmm. Except that we do. And we have science fiction writers who do it all the time. And that's what some go. of us love to read. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of, I wanted to check in with you in terms of what's like your favorite science fiction novel that thinks about Mars and to what degree does it address some of these problems and concerns that the Wiener Smiths have so carefully identified? There's no doubt that if we are talking Mars, we need to talk about The Martian. Andy Weir's The Martian is absolutely my favorite exploration of Mars and the most adventurous math I have ever read in my life. He decided how to survive. He put together the math and the science to make that happen in such an adventurous way, so much better than the movie version. The movie version skips over so much of the desperation of that Mark Watney character. That book is so eye-opening for the the hard thing that is living on Mars. You're you're asking me and I'm like, I I might have a difficult time even answering that. Um I, I'm much more interested in like the idea of how to build the soil and how to how to make sure there's oxygen, how to make sure there's food, how to create the atmosphere. Those are those are not necessarily just some articles and stuff like that that I would read. Um and they they would be Earthbound. I mean, as far as most of them, so they wouldn't even be in Mars. Um, how about you? How about you, Pam? So I totally have the Martian on my list, and I think that Andy Weir absolutely identifies almost all of the same issues that the Wiener Smiths do. And then I also, strangely, just coincidentally, I was rereading Kim Stanley Robinson's The Mars Trilogy this month, so it was really fun to be doing that at the same time as reading this. And you know, he does a little hand waving on some of these issues. He talks about a lot of them, but he hand waves some of the science, right? So they they do manage to, you know, build some big domes and get it get it organized and they do full colonization with a space elevator and frequent trips from the earth to Mars. And so I think the time scale is ex- like Robinson's time scale is extremely 
optimistic. Um, But the analysis he does of the legal and political are super, super similar to what the Wiener Smiths talk about in this book. You you really are a captured person on that voyage. Yes. It wouldn't be any different. All the challenges that you would have had, I don't know, 200, 300 years ago, you're poor, and you decide you're going to, I'm sorry, you're stolen from wherever you are, mm-hmm. thrown on a ship, and now you're on the crew. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're on a voyage, and they're going to be gone for a couple of years. you got all the same challenges. Well, you certainly can leave. Jump overboard. <laughs> and, and one of the parts. We're, we're going to eat these um, lemons and uh, protect yourself from scurvy, but we're going to deny you. Yeah. One of the parts that really stuck with me is the conversation that they have about procreation and about how children would, it would be very difficult to raise children. It, it Mars ain't no kind of place to raise the kids. <laughs> so <laughs> now, that's what, that's what Steve does. He just threatens oh, his kids like, yeah, I'm going to send you to Mars. We're on that <laughs> joke for a month. <laughs> <laughs> So what did you think were some of the most like interesting arguments they made? Well, they talk about how the bones would develop uh-huh. uh, yeah. and, and how the body, if, if we were astronauts and we we're on the space station or whatever, our heads would get a little bit bigger because the blood flow, um, our legs would thin out some. And one of the things they talked about was how much exercise and how, I mean, the, the the astronauts are like the ideal person. Like, they can take everything, right? And uh, they go up, and they still have those challenges. We exercise six hours a day, and we're still losing muscle mass. Uh, we're still like, losing bone strength. And that's one of the problems in Kim Stanley Robinson's um, Mars trilogy, is that you do need to exercise four to six hours a day. Um, and then there becomes a problem with, like, people having access to the gyms. And so then exercise becomes a commodity mm. that that wealthier people have more access to the exercise equipment than then the miners don't always have that access. And so they're losing muscle tone. So they're not going to be able to return to earth, whereas the wealthy will. Mm. And and I feel like that uh, are, was- they, are they trading hot sauce? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so much about the Ray Bradbury idea of Mars. Dark they were and golden-eyed. How we would adapt and become the Martians. How quickly our bodies would change and we would be the aliens very quickly in Ray Bradbury's idea. And I think that's true in the Wienersmith's idea here. We would not be able to return to Earth. This is a new cultural, new civilization. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you could say that. I mean, we, we've had, what, what do we see across the world where, you know, there's a, a species that is in Madagascar, in Africa, in South America, and they're they're all from the same entry point Mm -hmm. but they've all adapted to their environments a little bit differently Mm -hmm. i i think of those science fiction pieces and i i remain optimistic despite all of the research that the wet blanket wienersmiths have put on me (laughs) i totally am too steve (laughs) but but i did want to talk through i think their main argument in the book is that we've got to slow down we have to do tons and tons more research on how 
space travel, lack of gravity, artificial oxygen, how all of these things will impact the human body before we start even thinking about colonies on Mars. Would you need 10,000 people? Would you need a million people? It doesn't even matter because we don't even know what the impact will be on a single ordinary person. It's one thing to say, like, if you pick, you know, 600 people have ever been in space and they were all in top peak physical condition and and age as well. And so if you're if you're talking about setting up a colony, you have to have a much, much broader um, perspective. So I completely buy that research when people when, when Elon Musk says 30 years like, no, that doesn't that's not legitimate. Yeah, I, I do love that theme that runs through this, the wait and go large that they write so many times that they go back to these things need to be in place. We don't need to stop our exploration. We need to get these things in place first. And it's going to take a long time. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was saying. What about me and my lifespan? They said they would happen before I die. Mm -hmm. So, you know. <laughs> What about me? Which brings, us, which brings us to the singularity. There's a little bit of conversation in their story. Uh, it's not a story. There's a little bit of conversation in their text about what about simulations? What about how could we get there without the corporeal body? Just a tiny little smidge of that. And of course, that's the part that I was like, yes, there you go. I could be the brains of the ship. I could be the Bobiverse. That's where <laughs> I could have this. Steve wants to be Bob. I want to well, be Bob. He would be called the Steve-iverse, but all Steve, right. Steve's always wanted to be a silent. No doubt about they it. They had a plan. They had a plan, Steve. <laughs> There's no doubt that my life has been pointing toward what could I be as a computerized version of myself. All of this audio, 10 years of podcasting, could you take this audio and replicate Steve from that perspective? I think I think we can. We can build it. We have the but technology. Should we, Steve, but should we? Wow. I know. Let's talk to your kids, Steve. Wow. <laughs> now, another fact check that I really appreciated was that people don't usually go mad in space, right? So I think that we've read so many science fiction novels where you have the person who really loses touch with reality. What do you do with that crew member or that captain or whatever it is? And, you know, although, of course, it's it's possible when when you change your numbers, um, I really love that they were like, yeah, there have been a few reports of people having space madness, but it turns out they really just got grumpy like one day and, and then they okay. were fine. <laughs> because they're, they're the tip top, they are tested and put through all the paces before they're sent up there. What happens when it's regular schmoes? Do we get to Ren and Stimpy? Because of course, when you said space madness, the only thing in my head was the Ren and Stimpy episode <laughs> where they go into space and they have space madness. Well, yeah. We, we deal with a little bit of that now with the everyday person. Think about airline travel. And there's, it doesn't happen every day, but it does happen enough where someone has a bad day, you know, something happens. And all of a sudden there's a video of someone yelling on the airplane or a group of people who have to be escorted out of the airplane. Mm -hmm. um, and it, like I said, it's not every single day, but you can imagine the implications of being in space 
for years at a time mm-hmm. and having, you know, you can't just tie someone up for that period of time. Like, ah, John's having a bad day. Let's strap him down. Let's Velcro him to the wall or something. Make sure you bring enough media from the 1970s so you can watch Three's Company all the time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Make him sit through that it. That's one of my favorite parts of The Martian. Yes. The Martian, <laughs> Mark Botney finds the, the media and it's all 70s sitcoms. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little Norman Lear for you, Steve. There's a lesson in there somewhere. <laughs> I really like their idea that we should be doing way more research on sustainable biospheres. I thought that was really smart. And we just haven't done, we haven't done research where we've had, you know, a small number of people in a totally self-sustaining um, space. We can do it right here on Earth and get a lot. If, if we really want to colonize space, we have to start doing that now if we want to do it a couple hundred years from now. Or, or going to some desert and making soil that's usable. Right. Exactly. You know, expanding expanding the... Um, you, you know, what would that mean if we knew that we could create a sustainable life area out of an area that's dead? And what would that mean for the Earth, much less for Mars? That is one thing that they talked about is is we have done a little bit of that, but not nearly enough. And there's this really good um, nonfiction book that I've heard about, I haven't read yet, called Dinner on Mars, which talks about how one of the benefits of thinking through how you would terraform Mars is, in fact, using that information to actually clean up earth and and make earth more sustainable and so those two things are really really closely linked seems simple enough that if we have the science to do it there we have the science to do it here and and what's the benefit the benefit is much more ease yeah Yeah. the supplies that we need and the hot sauce (laughs) we're gonna have to be uh bring peppers and lots of vinegar we have to make uh, apples so that we can uh Make lots of hot sauce. It's the commodity, Steve. It's the Bitcoin of space, Steve. I found a bottle of sriracha <laughs> last night and I bought it because I haven't seen a bottle of sriracha in so many days. I I need it. I need it for Christmas. <laughs> now, were there any um, assertions made in this book that you were like, mm, not really buying it? I'm not smart enough to judge their research. I think their research was <laughs> oh, no, no. amazing. It's okay. no, I but like, were there things that you questioned and thought, oh, I don't know if that's accurate or not? I, I don't have a specific example of that, but I, I was questioning their credibility, not because they didn't read a lot and stuff like that. I just felt that at some point there's got to be somebody and they, they could easily say, no, we were doing the research. We, we have the papers to show you. But I was thinking, well, yeah, somebody's been thinking about this a little differently out there. <laughs> and by the way, I mean, this is a uh, an anchor in time based on the information that they were able to put together, and they have a wide documented, you know, sourced information. They are truly interested in this subject on a very extreme level. Yes. Uh, and and not that any department, you know, uh, or group has a um, all the knowledge out there but you know i kept thinking um yeah there's got to be a possibility there's there's got to be something they're missing there's got to be something i'm missing so you're saying there's yeah. a chance i want to talk Wishful about thinking. i think the three of us all had that feeling so i'm going to go back to that but there was one assumption that i kind of wanted to pause on 
um, which was about colonization. And I really, really loved how they did the lit review of different arguments about what's the smallest number of people that you could have to make an actual viable human population. And one of the things they said, you know, they were looking at research from, you know, animals who are facing extinction and what's sure. the smallest, um, you know, number of, of individuals you need to save the species. And one of the things they said was that you can get the number pretty small as long as you're willing to basically use an algorithm to tell you who should mate with whom. Yes. And they were like, humans would never go no for that. No son of mine will <laughs> disobey the mating computer. You, I love that. That's what AI is for, my friend. Like, I want to read You, down. over here, you're with her. Right now, I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm sure there are novels on this. I bet they're really fun to read. <laughs> then I was like, okay, at the same time, I take that. But at the same time, I think, you know, we have during our lifetimes, we're all about the same age. We have really made a lot of changes in the way that we think about the relationship of reproduction to life partnerships, right? There are tons and tons of new reproductive technologies and I guess I think that's a very surmountable problem. Like, I think that, you know, if we just said, like, who you have babies with isn't who isn't your partner, I think humans could put wrap their heads around that. I have faith in us that we could we could have the small colony. We could do what the computer tells us <laughs> and have the mating that we need and then still live full and happy lives with our partners of our choice. I don't know. Well, it, it's certainly pretty reasonable that um, what is uh, the mores and norm on Earth may not be the mores and norm on a colony out in the middle of nowhere with a very small group. We, we saw that with like the Mormons moving across the United States, where they made choices. Um, we, we've you know maybe we we've seen it with. Um, some tribes and stuff like that that have different ways of doing it because maybe they don't have, you know, we're, we're very blessed in the sense that if a person wanted to get a spouse from like, I want my spouse from Europe, they could go to Europe and find whatever they wanted. If they could find a partner or they go to Asia or something in the old days, your community may be as far as you can go. Right. And, and I love that they came at this with the perspective of an American and they, and they spelled that out very clearly yes. in the beginning. This is our perspective. These are the things that we know we might be missing something because of that perspective that might be clouding who we are. That's one example right there. Steve, we're American. We know all. See, that's perspective. <laughs> so guys, I think that they had the same feeling certainly that i had that steve you you've mentioned and maybe chip as well which is that even though they came up with so much really really strong and excellent evidence of the problems i still feel like we should be doing way more in space not less and reading this book didn't change my mind on that i feel like i now have like a nice cleaner set of problems that need to be solved but I still think we want to solve them. We need to solve them. I want to be a spacefaring species, even though it's going to be long after my death. I still think that that's where humans should be and go. With your mind in the computer as the captain of the ship. 
to, to boldly go where no person has gone before. <laughs> so what do you think? Would you suggest this book to your uh, space-faring thinking people despite all of the wet blanketness? 100%. I've already recommended this book to many people, and I just read it last week. Well, it's like the great discussion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine being at a party and everybody has read this book. You'd have so much to talk about. Mm -hmm. And hot sauce. And so many little parts to, 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 um, to, I don't know, dissect and think about. Think about all the insects you guys could eat while you're you're planning for it. Steve, you need protein. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I also will continue to think about this book i will continue to think about the issues that they've raised here i'm still an optimist i still want to be out there i still want to get out there whether it is corporeal or not whether it's in a computer i want to go and explore and uh i need to buy a minivan first <laughs> Maybe a it's a minivan for space steve that's how they that's how they sold it Yes, a hippie minivan in space. So you can oh, now I've got a short story. So you can have your own spoon, Steve. Yes. Don't you love that? The, <laughs> that spoon, that space home, the Isaac Asimov. I, I love Asimov and Bradbury. The ABCs of science fiction, Asimov, Bradbury, and Clark are are the ones that I keep going back to no matter how much more science fiction I read. And Coining the phrase spome for space home. All right, fine. I'm an Isaac Asimov reader. So, so I asked this this question, you know, a hundred years from now, how much do you think this book would change if they wrote the book as a contemporary person of that time? How much of this do you Boy. think they would solve? As a pessimist, I would say very little. How about you, optimist Pam? Oh, no, no. I think that many, many of these problems will be solved 100 years from now. Because, guys, think back to 1923, right? Uh-huh. You know? The roaring 20s. The roaring 20s. And you just, people couldn't have predicted what 2023 would look like, right? Agreed. And in a lot of ways, it's so much better and cooler and more awesome. The fact that the three of us in three different in three different locations, quite far apart, are having these wonderful conversations. You, no one could have predicted that in 2023. And so... The Jetsons would have never had video. <laughs> well, and Hal wouldn't have you know, tried to stop us, Steve. <laughs> I'm just saying, Faulkner and Hemingway and Gertrude Stein, <laughs> yeah, they, they had a lot of... So, so coming, coming live from Kitty Hawk, uh, North Carolina. <laughs> How have things changed since 1907? <laughs> things are looking up. Oh, <laughs> my okay. So, can I ask what you guys thought of the end of the book? And you know, I'll quote it for you in case, um, in case you don't recall it. The last, the last sentence: "Going to the stars will not make us wise. We have to become wise." in order to go to the stars. I think that they were trying. They were trying to be the optimists that they were at the beginning of their study and trying to push us in the direction of getting it done. But we need to pause and think. I love that theme, that the wait and go big is, is writ large here. Well, it's a good thing I had the hookah set up because it really allows me to expand my mind and think about that and just say, wow, man, wow. 
this is a scientific exploration. This is not a philosophical, but all of those philosophical pieces are in there as we well. We must they, become wise, man. Uh, three of us, three <laughs> wise men. Uh, Bring three gifts, wise my friend. <laughs> well, they, they've hit it. Think about where we were, where we are today. We are much more civilized today than we were at many times in the past, at least we assume we, we were, you know, how much can we continue to grow off that before, you know, something happens and we get to start all over again. Mm -hmm. And I just like the idea of doing the science first. <laughs> I mean, and so sure. much cool science is happening on this, on the International Space Station. That's, that's really, really relevant. But I think doing more of the, you know, space colony science, on earth and figuring out what we're doing psychologically sustainably in terms of biospheres it's just a, a obviously very good idea to me but we don't have the georgia guidestones anymore so you know what's going to happen somebody blew those up we don't have to well, somebody blew those them. up so yeah <laughs> so we have a lot to think about there's only there are only memories now steve there are only it's memories really pam <laughs> That's really what it comes down to here is we have a lot to think about, a lot of wisdom to be garnered before we can actually make it to Mars. I, I love books like this, by the way. They they really do. They kind of lay out like, you know, we, we talk about all these wonderful things. Let's lay out where we are today. And then, Age you know, 12, you die. Well, the idea, well, <laughs> you die. well you know, the, the, these are all the challenges. Everything mm -hmm. doesn't just happen. It happens because purposeful action. Someone tries to solve some kind of issue. And then, you know, hopefully uh, it sets up opportunities to go and do extraordinary things. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> All right. Pam, thank you so much for coming in and, and being the optimist and showing us the way on our journey to Mars this month. Th this is the way, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. That's a city on Mars. Can we settle space? Should we settle space? And have we really thought this through? Published in 2023 by Kelly and Zach Wienersmith. Scroll with it. Brings to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world, and it's time for us to look back at the year that was 2023. Everybody's coming out with their lists this week. The top searches on Wikipedia in 2023. Number one, chat GPT. That is the zeitgeist of 2023, isn't it? Steve, it looks like the AI is looking itself up. That, that accounts for at least a few million of the 49 million page views on Wikipedia. It's like, uh, I'm so wise. Let me look up how wise I am. It's Let like, me see ah. I, I got to the top of the charts. Top of the charts, everybody. Top of the world, ma. The, the, the thing about the top six searches on Wikipedia that is interesting to me is how much interest there is in cricket in this world. We don't think of cricket in the United States ever. Well, it's the grasshopper on the, on the hearth, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dickens. <laughs> yes, we're looking at the game cricket and uh, cricket World Cup, Indian Premier League, 
Uh, I mean, what are you what are you talking about? In fact, three and six are the same one. Mm-hmm. The the Cricket World Cup and the 2023 Cricket World Cup. So there's a huge demand for cricket. Apparently, except for the U.S., Steve. Yeah, we've got baseball. We've got baseball, the sport that was that was birthed from cricket. That uh, the reason why there's a strike doesn't make sense in baseball. That is nothing is being struck when you have a strike. But in cricket, the strike is the bowler has hit the pin at the other side of the batter. There, and you who go. won the World Series, Steve? There's sports. <laughs> Now you know. <laughs> Google has also put out their trends for the last 25 years, celebrating a long series of searches on Google. Those are some interesting ways of looking at what we have been thinking about for the last 25 years. The top searches in sauces uh, caught my eye. Hot sauce, one of the topics that we've talked about a lot on this episode, is highly rated over the last 25 years. But it's it's, it, gone it's down. the money of the future, Steve. Money of space. It's now tomato sauce. Tomato sauce is now the number one sauce search. Number two, soy sauce. Thank you. I find all this interesting. I know it's dumb, but I I find it interesting to think about all the statistics of all those searches. I think it's fascinating, too. Good. You are here to remind us, Chip, every year at about this time, it's important for young people to know that they can track Santa. Well, it's very important, Steve. As the elf on the shelf, Chip Kringle. I, uh, I'm looking forward to my return to the North Pole. You can always look at Norad Santa. Just put put it in your um, your search engine, or look up Santa Tracker. Uh, Google's got their version too, uh, and you can find out where Santa is compared to where you are, Steve. And and make sure you get in bed before Santa arrives at your home. That is the important part. I love this tradition. Love it. It's important to know when to bake those cookies, Steve. That is so, it's so lovely. It's so wholesome to think about all of those traditions. We've got our traditions too, Chip. Our end of the year wrap up is coming next week. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear what was your favorite movie, book, and news story of 2023. We'll put those together and discuss them next week on December 26th on Boxing Day. That's when we will unwrap all of the fun and favorites of 2023. And who doesn't love Boxing Day, Steve? A day where the servants get off and they can celebrate their Christmas, Steve. That's right. Happy (laughs) Boxing Day next week. We'll celebrate by unwrapping all of your favorites. We want to thank Pam Bador for another year of just joy, bringing us these great books. We had so much fun. We are so silly. We had so much great discussion of A City on Mars, uh, our book of the month. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-410-4TMS. Our website is TooMuchScrolling.com. Our email is TooMuchScrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social media platforms. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Kringle, and I see what you're doing. (laughs) See you in the future. If we're not already seeing you.